Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the PitcherList Podcast Network. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Just a reminder that you can find us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. You can find me at Chad Young. Pete is at Pete B Baseball. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us ratings and reviews. Love to hear from you. Love to hear what you think of the show. Love to get feedback from you. So definitely hit us up. And we are on to episode number 82. We're going to be talking about a couple of different things today. First, we're going to go over some of the news and notes, stuff that's happened around baseball. The The stove is definitely heating up. I think with that DeGrom deal, we can officially say it's hot. I think it's a hot stove now. It is. De- I mean, well, I was going to say it's definitely a hot stove, but it's not a hot stove here in Boston. So it's like, yeah, it's a hot stove, but I'm getting a little worried over here. But yes, Jacob DeGrom to Texas is kind of crazy. I was not expecting that. And it just came out of the blue the other night. Best pitcher in baseball on the move. Yeah, yeah. It's, and that's an interesting one. And we will uh, we will definitely get into that in a little bit. I think in, in Cleveland, it hasn't been any more exciting. I, I guess I, I should be clear. I'm in Seattle. And in Seattle, the stove has been hot. And we will talk about some of the deals the Mariners have been making. Uh, no surprise that Jerry DePoto is getting stuff done as he does. <laughs> um, but for Cleveland, for my for my Guardians, the uh, I had a moment this morning. Uh, Zach Mizell, who is a very, very good Guardians beat writer for The Athletic. If you're, you're ever looking for a, a great source of Guardians news, at Zach Mizell on Twitter is Z-A-C-K-M-E-I-S-E-L. Uh, he tweeted out, first line is, the Guardians have added a catcher. And it's like, you know, Guardians Twitter's been all over Sean Murphy or like maybe we could trade for a guy like Kirk. Yeah, they, they signed Mabris Valoria to a minor league deal with an invitation to big league camp. Now, this is actually like, they need some catching depth. This is fine. There's something wrong with it. But it, there was a moment there where I was like, oh, my God, is it happening? But it's <laughs> it, it's not happening. So maybe eventually. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's where we are. So before we get into the news that is happening for teams that aren't ours, I did take a moment to look up. MLB players who wore number 82 and it is a unimpressive list. <laughs> there are literally six names on it. They wore number 82 for a combined eight seasons among them. Wow. Not and a common number. No, the, the best of them, I, you know, I was going to, I was going to ask you to guess and I'm not, I'm not even going to bother. I would never be able to guess that <laughs> is, is Bailey Ober who wore it for one season, put up 1.2 R war in that season. Uh, there was, there is a red sock on this list. Uh, a guy by the name of Johnny laser. Oh, of course. Johnny lasers. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny L A Z O R. I'm not really sure how it's pronounced. He, uh, 
He played for the Red Sox during the the war years, 43 to 46. He wasn't that good, (laughs) but he did wear number 82. So he gets a a shout out here. Um, Yeah, not not a long list. Interestingly, he wore it in 1943. Everyone else who has worn the number 82 has worn it since 1980. Or sorry, that's wrong. Everyone else who's worn the number 82 has worn it since 2020. That's what I was trying to say. So we've had multiple seasons in just the last few years. Shirt and Apostle, Ronnie Dawson, Kelvin Gutierrez, Brooks Krisky, and as I mentioned, Bailey Ober, all in the last three years. I don't know. Number 82 is is having a resurgence. Yeah, it's coming or, back. It's coming back. There, in honor of Johnny Laser, we're, uh, we're bringing 82 yeah. back. Yeah. Anyways. We should talk about things that are interesting and useful. So I enjoyed that. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Okay. Let's, let's. We should talk about things that are useful. That was interesting. <laughs> maybe. At least I agree. I enjoyed it. Like ninety percent of our listeners have already shut this off and moved on to a podcast <laughs> that isn't talking about mediocre players who wore number eighty-two. But there were some moves. Let's talk. And, and as always, we'll focus on sort of the long-term implications, keeper league implications of these. Let's start with the uh, the very active Los Angeles Angels, who have added a couple bats and an arm. Tyler Anderson, the, the arm. Gio Urshela, Hunter Renfro, the bats. I I don't know. I I don't have a ton of huge reactions to this. But what are your thoughts? Anything from this that jumps out at you? Uh, jumps out in terms of them going to the Angels, not really. But I am a little surprised that like Tyler Anderson is basically getting like literally no respect for what he did last year. Like, like not even an ounce of respect. And I I get it, right? Like he's an obvious regression candidate. He was out of this world. He was pitching for the team that is maybe like the best team to pitch for great field behind him. All that stuff. I get it. I do. But I don't know. Like I expect the angels to be better. I like what they've done. I I like Urshela coming to town. I like Renfro coming to town. They're going to be well, I hesitate to say they're going to be better than they were last year because they seem to always disappoint. But I think he could be in line for a decent amount of wins. He pitches deep in the games. Wins is a hard category to come by. And if you could pair him with like, I don't know, pair him with a high upside strikeout pitcher like a Freddie Peralta or something like that. And I think between those two, you'll end up with a pretty nice combination. His ADP right now, Chad, after the year he posted last year is 257. 257? That just, I don't know, it feels wrong. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you, if you look at other pitchers around him, you've got, you know, Jamison Tyone, who like we don't know where he's going to land, but has never done anything like what Anderson just did. Eric Lauer is going about eight, five to seven picks earlier, it looks like. Um, hey, we just talked about this guy. Bailey Ober is going he is. The Ober around episode. earlier. Like you got Bailey Ober going around earlier than him, right after him. You've got guys like, you know, Marcus Stroman, who I also actually would be more interested in than some of those other guys. Um, then you get into like Hunter Brown, who's got more upside, but he's going later. Jose Urquidy, eh. I, I, I don't know. I just look at the guys going around him and it's like, look what look what Anderson just did. Right. Uh, and so from a keeper league perspective, I, I love him because if he if he repeats what he just did, right? So here's the gamble you're taking. In in a in redraft, if you're looking at this spot in the draft, he's got a much lower floor than a guy like Tyone, as an example. But the ceiling is much higher. 
it's a trade-off. Depending on how your team looks, there, there's a there's a uh, a decision to be made there. However, in in keeper leagues, if you take Anderson there and he even comes close to repeating what he just did, he'll be like a seventh eighth round pick next year. Absolutely, and you'll have huge value for keeper leagues. So I, I love him at that ADP if you can get him there because I just think the upside is is huge. The park. Not really a big change for him. Shouldn't hurt him too much. I think, you know, the division change isn't really a big one, especially with the more balanced schedule now. But even, you know, AL versus NL, whatever, like, it's just not, it's not that different. I, I suppose, like, being with the Dodgers, he he had to face, he didn't have to face the Dodgers, which was nice, but he did have to face the Padres. He had to go two cores. He doesn't have to do that anymore. Like, there, there are some benefits there, but I think they're pretty small because now it's like, Houston and, and Seattle and like it's just you know it's not great but it's fine I, I just think he's to your point they're being disrespected the other two guys here you know Urshela this is a a, a somewhat surprising park upgrade at least surprising to me so I, I went and was I was poking around at some stat cast le- park factors leaderboards and was sort of surprised to find park factor for right-handed hitters for Angel Stadium is the sixth, sorry, tied for the fifth best for right-handed hitters in baseball. For home runs, they are the seventh best. Minnesota, meanwhile, is 23rd for power and 26th overall for right-handed hitters. So this is actually a a non-trivial park upgrade for Urshela. And as of right now, you know, right now is it's the middle of the offseason. Who knows what's going on? Like, but as of right now, roster resource has him penciled in as their starting shortstop. And when you look at their lineup, it's like, I, I don't know who else. I don't know where else he fits. I don't think they traded for him to be a backup. They don't. They've, they've got Anthony Rendon at third base. You could maybe move Rendon to first, but then you're pushing Jared Walsh off the position. You can't use DH for either of those guys because Shohei's the DH. And they also added Renfro. And if he's not DHing, then you've got an outfield of Ward, Trout, Renfro. You're not pushing it. So Urshela basically has to be the shortstop. I think the only path to him not being shortstop would be if they go out and like sign a Carlos Correa, Xander Bogart, someone like that, and decide to push either push Urshela to a super utility role or push Luis Renjifo to a utility role with Urshela playing second. But in any of those paths, Urshela is headed towards middle infield eligibility and probably shortstop eligibility. And last year, like he's played that in the past, right? In 2021, he played, he started 24 games as shortstop for New York. He is not sort of naturally a shortstop, I guess. He's played primarily third base in his career. But he had shortstop eligibility for parts of 2021 and in most leagues for all of 2022, thanks to those 24 games. It's gone now. He made two appearances, no starts at shortstop last year. Getting that back, and, it, and it's something like Otto knew where he could get it back within a week if he's the regular shortstop, Like that changes his value, and it changes his long-term value as well. And you know, I, I think he... he you know, he left New York, and after having that terrible 2021, he was sort of out of the spotlight in a less sort of exciting place. But he had a nice bounce back last year. It wasn't great by any means, but he hit 285. He had 13 home runs. Um, 
he had you know only 61 runs, 64 RBIs, but that lineup wasn't really doing a whole lot. He should have more opportunities now. It seems weird to say with him going to the Angels, but like there's some bats in that lineup. So I I sort of like him for a little bit of a bounce back. And if he bounces back and adds middle infield, there's some there is some potential keeper value there. Not so much in, you know, again, we, we talked about this all the time. Like your keep three, keep four type leagues, he's not one of your top three or four keepers. But in your keep 10, keep 11 types, your auto new types where you might be able to get him cheap and also have a long-term shortstop, like his ADP is 398.1 right now. <laughs> you can get him for basically free. So I'm I'm uh I'm intrigued. I I don't I don't think it like He's not suddenly like a top 10 shortstop or something like that, but he's more interesting than he was before the deal. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I I wouldn't worry about him losing third base either just because he's shifting to shortstop because we know, you know, Anthony Rendon, God bless him, he's not going to play 150 games. And when he's not playing, it's most likely a situation where I would assume Urshela goes to third, maybe Renheef or Fletcher share the middle infield. Um, the, the line drive rate last year was up over 30%. So if you're looking at his BABIP thinking like, eh, you know, he had a 326 Babbitt. Well, it was 329 the year before that, 315 the year before that, 349 the year before. He's a high Babbitt guy who doesn't strike out a lot. He's putting the ball in play. So in certain formats in particular, like points formats, I like him a lot. Third base is thin. Um, and Chad, I was wondering, you know, thinking about Tyler Anderson, I wonder how much of the discount this year is coming from the fact that the Angels have a six-man rotation with Otani. And if Otani moves... And they go back to a five-man rotation, and Tyler Anderson's still there. Now his value is going to go up a little bit, and if he's as, if he's even close to as good as he was last year, it is going to be huge value in drafts this year. So I don't mean to spend so much time on these Angels secondary pickups, but it was something that came to mind that there could be some hidden value in there for twenty twenty four when it comes to Tyler Anderson. Yeah, I think I, I'm not sure. I think that that matters a ton for Anderson. Well, I'm looking now. I guess he did make he made twenty eight starts last year. We had 31 the year before. Okay. Yeah, maybe it does matter because he is going to get held down a bit in terms of the number of starts he can make if they go with a six-man rotation again. So you could be right on that. For some reason in my head, he was a guy who didn't make that many starts last year, but it's because he didn't really start in the rotation, right? He he was like, looked like he was going to be sort of in and out swingman type, and he just ran with the job. So they kept getting injuries too. So yeah. Uh, I will note, by the way, on Anderson, like his FIP was good, but his XFIP and Sierra were not. So there, there are some underlying reasons to be less optimistic. So I, I get some of the concerns. I just think they're people are taking those concerns too far. We'll say that. So uh, Renfro, we haven't really talked about, but I don't think this makes a big difference for him. It just sort of is what it is. I think. Even leaving Milwaukee, you know, I was talking about how I was poking around at the park factors, and it's for a left-handed hitter. Give me one second as I pull this up again. For a left-handed hitter, the power park factor for Milwaukee is very, very good at 119. For the Angels, it's even better. It's 134. Not a thing I expected to find when I looked at this. I, it's not a reason to be like, oh my God, Renfro is going to be so much better. He's in a better power park now, but like, I think a lot of people were like, wow, he's leaving Milwaukee. That's unfortunate, but I don't think it actually is. I think he'll be fine. But Renfro's a righty, isn't he, though? Uh, if he is, then I need to look at the other park factors, and I will do that in a moment. He is a righty. Yeah, he is. For some reason in my head, he feels like a lefty. <laughs> well, let's flip this, and we'll take a look at the right-handed park factors. 
And right-handed park factors. For, oh, this this makes it even easier. This is an even easier comparison. The right-handed home run park factor for American Family Field in Milwaukee is one twelve. The right-handed home run park factor for Angel Stadium in Anaheim is also one twelve. No change. So, yeah, my my point stands. Uh, it, it's just not really a it's it's not really a thing I'm worried about or thinking about with him. If anything, this like leads to some questions about like why does nobody want Hunter Renfro? <laughs> the fact that he keeps getting shipped around, but he's going to slot into that lineup. They have no one to displace him really, so it is what it is. Um, yeah, it's a it's a good landing spot for him. So if he was going to get moved, like there's a lot of bad places he could have ended up. That one's just totally fine. So agreed. Let's jump to the next deal that happened. And we'll talk about both these players at once or, or sort of go back and forth in them. Colton Wong to Seattle, Jesse Winker to Milwaukee, Abraham Toro also to Milwaukee, but I think we can leave him out for our purposes. This deal. I, I'm not sure I care very much either way. Um, the park, the, the park, Upgrade for Winker seems like it could be something, but if you look at his expected home runs on on Savant, it isn't that different. It you know adds a home run or two compared to what he would have gotten if he'd played all his games in Seattle last year. But I think the primary concern with Winker isn't the park. The primary concern with Winker is that he regressed badly last year and didn't play well. And was that was that injury? Was that skills falling off? Like there's a lot of things that could have been. If he fixes those things. He'll be great. And if he doesn't, the park's not going to make a difference. Yeah, I'm excited about it because I have a weird thing about hitters going to Seattle. It just seems like whenever anybody goes to Seattle, they get worse. And I I, I feel bad for Mariners fans. I know that, that that park is not the greatest park to hit in. But, like, I mean, I guess Eugenio Suarez has kind of bounced back. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. But it, it took some guys a while to get going there um, over the years. And so I look at. Winker leaving Seattle, and I feel pretty good about it because he's a player that I really like. Um, his plate discipline is still elite, and I think that's worth keeping in mind that it's it, he wasn't pressing or anything like that. His, his exit velocity was certainly down relative, uh, down significantly relative to where it had been the last couple of years, which maybe is a sign of an injury. This is a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries in the past. Um, but the BABIP down at 251, that's going to impact a guy who puts the ball in play a lot because he has such good plate discipline. So, you know, 324 BABIP in 2021, that went down to 251 as a Mariner last year. So I, I'm hoping that goes back in the right direction a little bit. He gets to a new park, gets his feet under him. He's a, he's a late round target for me, especially with how shallow outfield is. Yeah, I agree with that. I just, to me, the, the, the park is, it's just yeah, it's secondary to all the other stuff, you know, yeah. as for the guy going the other way, Colton Wong, I, again, I just, you know, yeah. He's going to play, nothing, no big change. The only thing is Seattle stole about 15 to 20%, about 20% fewer bases than Milwaukee last year. I have no idea off the top of my head if that's a strategic thing versus a talent thing. And so like, you know, maybe if you're being conservative, you might want to assume Wong steals three or four fewer bases. He stole, I think, 17 last year. Yeah. Double check that. Caught six um, times, stole seventeen. Yeah, so I mean that's a, that's a that's a perfectly fine ratio. It's not great, but it's it's acceptable, right? No team is like, oh, seventeen and six, you can't run anymore. So if it's a strategic thing, like maybe he attempts, you know, 
20, 18 instead of attempting 23. And so he steals 14 or 15 instead of 17. On the other hand, he is moving into a much better lineup. And I'm not sure, you know, it it remains to be seen where they will place him in that lineup. I, I have a like roster resource right now has him sixth. That's a They've weird got spot. Julio Rodriguez for what? That's a weird spot. Yeah, I, they have they have Julio Rodriguez first, which makes sense. They have France, Eugenio Suarez, Cal Raleigh, Teoscar Hernandez hitting after Raleigh, which I find weird, and then Wong Kelnick, Tom Murphy as the DH, JP Crawford as the shortstop. the The thing that I think is sort of weird with Wong in this lineup is he. You're not going to hit him ninth. Like he could be a ninth place hitter, but he's not going to be because JP Crawford is the ninth place hitter there. And that's not going to change. You can't really hit him like first or second because of the way this lineup is built. And so I think he is sort of stuck in this six, seven, eight spot. And that's going to hurt him. I think because it feels like a big lineup upgrade because that lineup was good last year and they've got a lot of talent at the top of it, but there's a big drop off after the top five. And if he's hitting behind all those guys and the guy hitting direct, like if I look at this lineup and the guy is hitting directly in front of him are Raleigh and Hernandez, like those guys aren't high on base guys. They're power guys. So they're going to clean up the, the bases and leave him with no one on base in front of him and no one behind him who's really going to drive him in. So I, I think that it's, it's a weird spot. It's not an ideal place for him, but I don't know that that's going to stick. It's a weird lineup. Uh, and I also just, I don't know if this team is, done. I don't think Tom Murphy is their DH and I don't think they're going to settle with Jared Kelnick as their left fielder either. Yeah, I definitely don't think they're done. I do worry a little bit about Colton Wong. His career splits don't look quite as bad, but last year he was abysmal um, against lefties in limited plate appearances. It was under 100 plate appearances, but he hit 138 um, just one homer. So if if that becomes you know for 32 year old Colton Wong a platoon situation then obviously I'd be out on him and I think he's going to be pushed up in drafts because of the potential to steal bases Uh, but as he gets older and he's only 21st percentile sprint speed that was kind of surprising to me so I don't know I'm I'm really cooling on Colton Wong in Seattle so let's jump to the the big deal we mentioned at the top of the show Jacob deGrom off to Texas Honestly, like I don't think there's a lot to discuss here because I mean, from a baseball perspective, there's a ton. This is an interesting deal for Texas. It's great to see DeGrom get paid. What does this mean for the Mets? Blah, 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 blah. From a fantasy perspective, and particularly from a keeper league perspective, DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. He may or may not make very many starts. That's all you need to know. He could have signed with literally anybody, except I guess maybe Colorado. But if he had signed with Colorado, I'd have been yeah. like, oh, there's a Rockies pitcher worth rostering. Like I just <laughs> it's just that good. So K rate will do that. Yeah. So I I think it is what it is. He's in Texas now. I don't think we need to say much more. Uh, Let's look then. Chris Martin. See, Boston did make a move. You said they weren't doing anything. I mean, sure. (laughs) I feel bad for Chris Martin because now that he's in our bullpen, he's going to be bad, uh, which is a little bit of a bummer. I, I only bring him up because it was announced. You know, Tanner Houck looked good in the closers role. For the limited amount of time that he was in there, he, he was pretty good. Um, but they announced that they want both Hauk and Whitlock starting. And so they're going to have right. to beef up the bullpen if that's the case. I have absolutely no faith in Matt Barnes. Um, Schreiber is still going to be a part of that conversation. But if they feel more comfortable with Schreiber in the eighth inning, which he had for most of the season last year before becoming closer, or maybe they just feel better with Chris Martin as closer, I think there could be sneaky saves there. So if I'm drafting early, 
you know, I might be targeting Chris Martin um, just as a, you know, draft and hold, grab him in keeper leagues. You know, there's absolutely no value here until we know if he has a role or not. Yeah, I also think Boston seems to be fairly comfortable with a committee. That's why they lose all the time. My guess is... I guess there are plenty of teams that do fine with committees. Uh, they like the, 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 the prime example of a committee team is Tampa whose bullpen is always lights out and until the playoffs them win. So the bullpen was lights out in the playoffs too. All I remember is I was beating them. So, yeah. <laughs> well, a point being that for me, I think um, I don't expect them to name Martin the closer. I do expect that he'll get some saves. I actually think he had a better path to being a capital C closer in Los Angeles because if they don't make any moves, it's like him or Hudson or Evan Phillips or whoever it was going to be. But there was also a better chance of him getting zero saves there. I think in Boston, like he's got a really clear path to like seven to 10 saves. And I think it's a murky path to 25 or more. Yeah, that's a fair take. Jose Abreu. Signed with Houston. This is, I don't know, this is an interesting one. I've been, I'm consistently low on Abreu, so I probably shouldn't be the one to talk about him. (laughs) You should give your thoughts on Abreu before I continue to be low on him. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, the the StatCast data still shows elite contact, um, which might be a little bit surprising considering his numbers seem to be down, especially in the power department relative to where he's been. I mean, 679 plate appearances and only 15 home runs and only 75 RBI, which, you know, he's not entirely in control of, obviously. But that's what counts in five by five. And that's something that you thought you would have thought was really bankable for Jose Abreu was home runs and RBI. And they absolutely were not. So now it's is he, you know, beginning to show decline or was this just kind of a weird down season um, looking across the board, things don't look really all that different from where he had been in the past, from where he was when he was MVP in 2020, I believe. Um, 48% ground ball rate is up a little bit from the last two years, but 25% fly ball rate uh, and 25% line drive rate. We'll still take that with the powerful contact that he makes. So I, it's a much better lineup, obviously. I kind of expect the RBI to fully bounce back. We all know the White Sox had a train wreck of a season last year. Um, but where will the homers fall? I think is the ultimate question. I, I'd have a hard time depending on batting average from anybody, right? I mean, year to year, it's just so inconsistent. So you're looking at him for home runs and RBI. If he's a 15 to 20 homer guy, uh, yuck. You know, I think I'd rather just wait and take somebody a little bit later. Um, if he's back to a 25 to 30 homer guy, I think the RBI could be over 100. Um, and who knows where the batting average could land? It could end up pretty high again, like last year. So he is a uh, he's a wider range of potential outcomes than I think most people would expect given the name and consistent production over the years. Yeah. And I think I I do see, you know, I see some concerning signs like the, the contact is still good and it's better than his results last year. Like his X slugging last year was 486 versus a 446 actual slugging. There's more power in that bat than he showed last year, but his max EV was a career low his barrel rate was the lowest it's been since 2018. His launch angle was a career low. Like there are some concerning trends happening there. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I keep waiting for him to just turn into a pumpkin because he's old and it, it hasn't really happened yet. I, I think the thing that stands out to me with this deal is 
everyone's like, oh, the Crawford boxes are such a great target for him. And like, yeah. I get that. But the, the, the power park factor at Minute Maid Park for right-handers is much worse than that at, in, in Chicago for guaranteed rate. Like guaranteed rate is a great power park. So I, I don't think this is a park improvement for him. It is absolutely a lineup improvement. And so that piece is good, but I'm probably just still out on him because I, I still think we are we are closer to the day when he falls apart than we are to him putting up an MVP type season again, I think. For sure. He hits to all fields too. Like, so I, I, Trey Mancini yeah. made that adjustment of like, really just yank, yank that ball out of there. Try and yank that ball out. So if he does that, you know, maybe he, you know, like Anthony Rizzo in Yankee Stadium, if he starts just going for that. But like you said, the park factor was just as good, if not better, in Chicago. So I don't, I don't expect that much of a difference. Yeah, so we got a few more deals here, and I think most of them are... We can talk about them fairly quickly. Start with one you just mentioned, Anthony Rizzo, back to New York. I, to me, this is like, it's the best possible outcome for him. There's there's no park or lineup I would have rather seen him in from, as a, from a fantasy perspective, but this doesn't... It obviously doesn't change anything for him. It is what it is. <laughs> yep. Um, Carlos Santana to Pittsburgh. Nobody was drafting him anyways. Now he's in a terrible park, so you should still continue to not draft him. <laughs> then we get into uh, Teoscar Hernandez to Seattle. So hit the park factor in Seattle, definitely worse than Toronto, but his expected home runs on Savant were actually higher with Seattle than with Toronto. So I don't think there's a huge impact here. Potentially RBIs are down, but as we talked about, the top half of that Mariners lineup is pretty good. It's just not as good as the Blue Jays' top half of the lineup. So there, there's some there's some downward pressure here, I think, but I, I don't think it really is a huge change. Yeah, I don't I don't anticipate much of a difference for Tay Oscar. Um, he hits he hit lefties better than he hit righties last year. There's a lot of decent lefties between, you know, just between the Astros and the Angels alone. There's a lot of left handed pitching in that division. So if that's, you know, a side that he sees well, he might see a little bit of an improvement. I, I don't know why I get nervous about hitters going to Seattle, but um, Tay Oscar is a guy who I think can overcome the obstacles that go with that. Those may yeah, I think, obstacles. you know. Teoscar, if you look at what, you know, Eugenio Suarez did, like they're similar style hitters, big power, not huge on base percentage, like, and they, Eugenio was just fine. So then last few things here are pitchers who are moving Zach Eflin to Tampa Bay. I'm just super curious how they use him. He's been very good the first couple times through the lineup. He's got a lot of talent. The fact that Tampa was willing to give him a three year, $40 million deal. They see something. They they didn't. They don't just hand deals out like that. So right. they're they're seeing something there that they really believe in. the The existence of that deal moves him up my draft board, just because I'm like, okay, better park, better organization in terms of pitcher development and and, and being smart about how they use their pitchers. It probably hurts in terms of wins because he's. You know, there are other places he could have gone where he'd be more likely to go six innings every time out. That's not going to happen in Tampa, but I sort of like it from a, a, a rates and performance perspective. Yeah, that's the ultimate question. How are they going to use him? I mean, three years, 40 million for them. You would expect it to be a, a starting pitcher, but he hasn't made a start since June 25th. And when he came back on September 14th, every appearance since then was as a reliever. And he was 
He was a pretty damn good reliever uh, down the stretch there. I wanted to pull up, pull up the postseason here um, where they made a deep run. I mean, he had one, it looks like one really bad outing um, against the Braves in that. Well, that must have been, that was just one appearance. I can't remember when they faced the Braves. It was the first round of the playoffs after the wild card round. Either way, he had one bad appearance there, uh, was a home run. Otherwise, he was also locked down in the postseason and getting strikeouts too. So, if it's as a closer, which I don't expect it to be because it's Tampa Bay, then I'm definitely interested. I think it's going to be as a starter. And because he hasn't made a start since June 25th, I don't I don't know if I'm going to have a lot of interest because it's going to be very short leash. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, it'll be a short leash on a per start basis. I think the, based on the contract, if they think he's a starter, he they're going to use him as a starter. So yeah. uh, Kyle Gibson to Baltimore. It's a big park upgrade, right? Wouldn't have, sure. wouldn't have thought we'd be saying that, but after the changes they made there, that's a big park upgrade. It definitely is. Um, Kyle Gibson, 35 years old now, but still is kind of like a quality start machine. Um, he is, he has been at least throughout his career, a pretty heavy ground ball guy. So I don't know how much we'll see the park really matter all that much for him with how much he generates ground balls. I mean, for his career, he's over 50% ground ball pitcher, um, but we'll still take it. Less home runs for sure. And then the last pitcher who moved so far, Mike Clevenger to the White Sox. I, I'm not a fan of this. That's not a great park for him to land in. I, I know that the pitching coaching in Chicago has a good reputation, but I, I don't know. I feel like the reputation's a little overstated. Definitely after last season. <laughs> yeah. Like a big part of that was like, oh, they fixed Giolito and now Giolito has been terrible. So I I don't know. I, I think the someone I can't remember where I saw this and so I'm going to steal it from whoever it was and if you're listening I apologize please you know tweet at me and take credit or whatever but I saw someone say that the idea of Mike Clevenger has been better than the actual Mike Clevenger for most of his career and like that's pretty true uh especially since you know he left Cleveland it's just been meh and I, I'm I don't know I I don't expect him to be I think he'll be a serviceable starter. I think he'll make a lot of starts. I think he'll throw a decent number of innings. I just don't think he's going to be special. Yeah, I mean, it's huge for him that he threw 114 innings pitched last year. He made it up to 22 starts. Like that's that. I guess that's that's something. But I, I'm looking for somebody to give me a reason to be excited about Mike Clevenger because I, I I can't find any other than he had previous spells of success and maybe has worked back up to a starter's workload. Like if the, if that's what you're selling me on, okay. Uh, otherwise, you know. There's not a lot to get excited about there. Yeah, no, I mean his his velocity was way down last year, and right. like I've been, I was just pulling up now. I'm gonna see if I can pull this up quickly. His pitch velocity by start, because I think one of the things I was curious about last year was like, okay, he's coming back from injury, velocity's gonna start down. It didn't go up. Like his, I'm looking at his his pitch graph, like his by start by appearance velocity. And it bounced around a little bit. I, I, you can maybe see an upward swing towards the end, but it didn't really, there's no like clear, like, oh, he got stronger and got more velocity as time went on. That is definitely something I would watch with him because if he comes out in spring training and is throwing 95, like he was in 2019 and 2020, that's a very different story than if he is throwing 93. But I don't know. I mean, the the strikeouts are down. The Way down way down the home runs have been up and now he's moving to a much much worse park for power than he's ever pitched in at any point in his career i i'm just you know 
He gives up a lot of fly balls. I just, eh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not interested. He's going to, he's going to be going too high because of his name and I'm going to have no yeah. shares. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to go through our preview of the catcher position, including our top 10 catchers for keeper leagues. We'll be right back. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow, and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. As mentioned before the break, we are going to shift from all the news and notes around baseball to looking at the catcher position. We do this every year. We go through our positional previews, and we start every time with our top 10 for keeper leagues. And so in general, when we talk keeper leagues, talk a top 10 here, we are assuming there is some cost for keepers, we are assuming that you're keeping more like eight to 10 or more players. This isn't, you know, honestly, if you're in a keep three, none of the catchers are keepers most likely. And so maybe there's a couple, maybe, but it's just not, that's just not how, where you're going to use that keeper. It's not where I would use it. So this is more, you know, where does the keeper value possibly change things around versus what you're seeing at ADP or what you're seeing in other people's rankings, things like that. And so with that, I'm going to read off our top 10 lists. And I'm, I'm going to break them into groups of five. And I want to discuss them in those groups of five. And I, I think there's a pretty clear reason for that. And you'll hear it when I read the top five, which is Pete's top five is Adley Rutschman, Will Smith, Dalton Varsho, Alejandro Kirk, and JT Real Muto. My top five is Dalton Varsho, Alejandro Kirk, Adley Rutschman, Will Smith, and JT Real Muto. So we both have the same number five, and we both have the same one through four in a completely different order. So I, I think, let, let, I want to start with this. Rutschman obviously has you know less experience than any of these guys. He's, he's sort of the least proven that I have him third. So I don't want to pretend like I'm like, how could you possibly put him first? It's yeah, totally understandable. But let's hear your defense of Adley Rutschman as the top catcher for keeper leagues. Sure. I mean, simply put, I think he's, he's the best talent on either of these lists just as a player. Right. And obviously catching for a fielder doesn't matter, but as a hitter as well, this guy is hit at every level he's been at. Um, and I, you look at the numbers under the hood and you can find ways that he can be better. And he was already very good. The barrel rate was just 50 in the 50th percentile. His average exit velocity was pretty low at 88% or 88 miles per hour, I should say. And this is a guy who you're thinking is going to be one of the premier offensive catchers in the league. I expect those numbers to go up just 24 years old. And it's tough to adjust when you get to the major leagues. Um, he did go through a little bit of a slump when he first got called up, uh, like most players do. And considering that, 
the final number still looked really good. And so if I'm going to project that out over a full season, because I, I think he's a guy who's going to be like a Will Smith, like a Sean Murphy, who's at the top of the leaderboard for catchers when it comes to plate appearances. If we're talking, you know, 600, 650 plate appearances, why can't he be, you know, a 25 homer? I, I Maybe because of the park, it's, it's asking a lot, but a 25 homer, 80 to 90 RBI catcher. And when we're talking keeper leagues at just 24 years old, that's telling me I got maybe another five to six years of that production in his bat. Um, that's why I'm, I'm going Adley there. I think I like all these names in the top five. I won't end up with a lot of them because of my ch- ever constant changing philosophy on the position. Uh, but if I have to get locked into one of these guys for the long term, I think it's going to be Adley Rushman. Yeah, I think with Adley, I, I don't know that that 25 homer power, it, it could it could show up, but like he had an incredible second half last year. As you mentioned, he started a little slow. His second half numbers are just otherworldly. But even in that second half, he had eight home runs and 288 plate appearances. I don't think he, you know, that, that puts him on as a catcher, a like 15 to 16 home run pace, not a 25 home run pace. I think for his first couple 20, months in the league, though, I mean, still yeah. pretty good. <laughs> no, it's it's good. I, I'm not saying, I, like I said, I have him third. This is this is not like <laughs> I'm telling you he's terrible. I here here's my thing with him is I think he is the best catcher of this group. I don't think he's the best hitter of this group. I still think that's Kirk, and I don't think he's the best fantasy player of this group. I still think that's Varsho. Um, and, and for Varsho, it comes down to a couple things. One is he is going to provide you speed from this position that you're not going to get from anyone else um, except for maybe real Muto. You know, at some point real Muto you'd think would not steal much, but he still can, but he's going to provide you speed. He's going to hit like Varsho had 27 home runs last year. Yeah, that's crazy. There is a very real possibility. And I, I like, I don't think this is a stretch at all that Dalton Varsho will lead all catchers in home runs and stolen bases in 2023. Uh, I don't think I mean, it's a lock, but it's I think not- it's certainly possible. Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I just, I mean, if you look at last year, and let's take a look at catchers hitting homers in 2022. So Cal Raleigh hit 27. As I mentioned, Varsho hit 27. Raleigh hit 27. Will Smith hit 24. Salvador Perez hit 23. Real Muto hit 22. Wilson Contreras at 22, William Contreras at 20, Sean Murphy at 18 if he gets out of Oakland. But like that, that's sort of to me, like those are the candidates to do it. Uh, Real Muto had more steals than him. He had 21 steals, but no one else had more than six. That was Kybert Ruiz. So, you know, he has to get by Real Muto in steals and he has to keep up the power. But he, he could lead in both. On top of that, Varsho is going, and this is part of why he could lead them both. He's going to play maybe every day because he's going to be a center fielder more than he is a catcher. The big question for him, and this is the biggest risk I think I'm taking with ranking him as my number one keeper league catcher, is there has been talk that the Diamondbacks might want to add a catcher. And if they do that, Varsho may not get behind the plate at all. And if Varsha doesn't get behind the plate at all and he loses catcher eligibility long-term, that's a, that is a big hit to his value. Uh, and so I like, if he's not going to be a catcher anymore, he's still very worth drafting, but his keeper value goes way down. 
and then I'm then I'm have a much easier time moving him down my list. But right now, I still assume he's going to get a decent number of appearances and starts as a catcher. Yeah, I mean that was going to be part of my evaluation here. Is is I am a little worried about long term at the position. Um, the power, like twenty seven home runs, is a lot of home runs. I I don't know if I I think that's a fair expectation for him going forward. His home run to fly ball rate was sixteen point one. The league average is at eleven point four. Um, and he's not someone who would be you would expect to be an outlier in that stat. I mean, he pulls the ball a ton to be fair, and you're going to get a lot more, um, you know, oomph on a, on a ball when you pull it and you hit it in the air as much as he does. But uh, average exit velocity is in the 25th percentile, uh, and it's not that impressive of a max EV either at 110. Um, so like 27 homers from him, I. I don't know. And I kind of expect steals too. And, and this is why it's going to be hard to rank stolen base guys to make a comeback. I think there's going to be a lot of stolen bases next season. And so is he still an outlier at the position in stolen bases? Most definitely. But is he enough of an outlier in that position now where I'm going to have to like prioritize him to make sure I get steals or, or, or move him up over other players I'd rather have? I don't know about that. So I like him. He's my number third, like you said, uh, right. for, for Rushman. It's not like I'm out on him, but I'm not convinced that this is a fair bait. 27 homers, 16 stolen bases. That's tough to pay for if you don't think the guy is going to do it again. Yeah, that's totally reasonable. So let's look at the the back half of our top tens. And we get a little bit more disagreement here and some different names popping up. So your number six is Sean Murphy. Your number seven, this is this is the first place we get sort of interesting. Your number seven is Contreras. Uh-huh. And yeah. I don't I don't know who you mean. It's not the one that you have sixth. <laughs> it's yeah, the one so that you have so seven. Wilson. Yeah, you yeah. have Wilson as your number seven. Salvador Perez, number eight. Tyler Stevenson, number nine. MJ Melendez, number 10. Now, I have, as you just, you know, leaned into, I have William Contreras, number six. I have Wilson number seven, Melendez eight, Stevenson nine, Murphy 10. So the big differences here are you have Perez inside your top 10. I do not have Salvador Perez inside my top 10 for keeper leagues. Instead, I have William Contreras in there. And then, of course, the other big one is that I have Contreras sixth. You've got his brother seventh. I also have his brother seventh. Let's talk a little bit about William versus Wilson because you've got... As we mentioned, you've got Wilson at number seven. I also do, but I have William at number six. William's not on your list. And so I'm going to make my case for William Contreras as the better option amongst the Contreras brothers. (laughs) And here's what it is. Looking at last year's performance, William had the higher batting average, the higher on base percentage, the higher slugging percentage. He also had only two fewer home runs, despite the fact that he had 111 fewer plate appearances. He had they both they both stole some bags, four for Wilson, two for William. He had lower runs and RBIs, but again, his runs and RBIs were not enough lower to account for the fewer number of plate appearances he got. In the second half of the season, he very much established himself as a a regular. He was DHing when he wasn't catching. He was playing all the time for that team. And as a result, in the second half of the season, he had more plate appearances and more games played than Wilson. And I think that'll continue. And so when I look forward to this season, 
there, there's a Varsho aspect here where I think he's going to play more than most other catchers. I think that he is going to, unlike Varsho, I'm not worried about him losing catcher eligibility because he is very clearly the catcher of the future in Atlanta. And while Darno is there, William will continue to get opportunities to DH so they keep his bat in the lineup. He'll catch more starting next season or something like that, I suspect, but he's going to keep the eligibility. And then if I look at their projections, just like the steamer projection for Wilson is a 335 Woba. The steamer projection for William is a 338 Woba. Very similar. But I expect William to get more plate appearances. And so to add to the fact that you know William is not quite 25, he turns 25 on Christmas Eve, whereas Wilson turns 31 in May. That's a big difference in age, especially at a position where players sometimes fade early. Now, there, there's some open questions with Wilson about where he's going to play, both in terms of team and position. There's some rumors that Houston is looking at him as a left fielder slash DH to partner with Jordan Alvarez. I don't know if that comes together. I still think he ends up as a catcher somewhere. And as long as he ends up as a catcher, I think it. I think William is the one who ends up with more playing time. But I don't know. I think if they get equal playing time, I think they're very similar. I think the production will be very similar. And then I'll take the younger guy. Yeah, I I don't know. I For me, at this particular, maybe at another position, I'd, I'd come around. But at this position, track record just matters to me. And the idea of paying up for a contract season or for a career season for a catcher. And I know it's unfair to call it a career season. It's only his third season, his second full season. But like he was not expected to do this. Um, and even with the the great numbers he put up last year, it was still a really high ground ball rate. He strikes out a lot um, and, and kind of moving away from just comparing him to Wilson, because, uh, again, my stance on Wilson is just kind of experience. I mean, he's a guy who's consistently put forward high ranking catcher seasons um, that I, I think is more bankable. And I am interested to see where he lands. I don't know if he's going to land at, in a place as great as DHing most of the time for the Atlanta Braves. It's tough to beat that. But if he does end up in a place where, you know, maybe a better park situation, better lineup situation than the dreadful Cubs last year, then I think it'd be a more fair statistical comparison. Um, but it's an experience thing. And, and with William, I I still have concerns looking at the strikeout rate, even though it's come down and even though steamer projects it to continue to come down, uh, there's a lot to like there. I just, it's just a, it's a catcher thing. I'm not going to pay up for a career season for a guy that's got a strikeout rate of, 28% and is a catcher. So let's talk Salvador Perez. I I don't have him in my top 10. I don't have him like forever outside of my top 10, but I don't have him in my top 10. My auto new rankings, I posted my my catcher rankings for auto new uh over on Fangraphs late last week. I have Perez as ninth in those rankings, a little bit higher than I do here because this the the fact that he never runs doesn't really matter and his power plays up a little bit in that format. But I man, I mean I think Perez is I think he's still benefiting in terms of how people view him from what I see as a drastic outlier 2021 season that he has no chance of repeating. I just see a guy who's going to provide low average, decent power and literally nothing else. Yeah. He's not that great of a, 
of a hitter, right? In the traditional sense, um, barely ever walks high strikeout rate. Um, he's older now. And you know how I feel about catchers 30 and older, even though I just defended Wilson Contreras and I'm the one with Salvador ranked here. Um, the track record again speaks. And this is, this is why ranking keepers is, is such a fun, but difficult thing to do where like, I think I'd rather in a keeper league draft Salvador Perez, and I'm going to get a discount because it's a keeper league. You know, he's not going to be going at his ADP cost. And stick it out for a year where he's probably going to DH way more than catch like usual and probably put up still, even if he's not great, that great of a hitter, still put up really strong fantasy numbers relative to the position as a DH for a team that's offense is getting better. And then if I have to cut him, fine, cut him. Um, as opposed to drafting a younger catcher with who could maybe be as good as Perez one day and maybe be a keeper for me. I'd rather just at that position, okay, if Salvador Perez doesn't work out and I have to cut him next year, I'll draft the next Cal Raleigh. I'll draft the next, you know, Jonah Heim and, and figure it out from there. So for this position, it really is a philosophical thing for me. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I, I, I like when I can have positions like this solved and not have to worry about them. Like the idea, and, and this again, may come down to like what your league rules look like, because, you know, in, again, in an auto new league, if I've got a cheap, if I can get a cheap William Contreras right now via trade and just know that I'm locked in at catcher for the long term, like I'm, I'm super happy with that in a, you know, keep six, keep seven where Contreras, even at a low cost might not be a keeper for me in a year, then I'm more inclined to sort of take the, the production right now, but I just, I hate having to draft catchers. It's such a mess. And so I actually think like for keeper leagues, I love playing in the top half of this list because Rutschman, Smith, Varsho, Kirk, like I can just lock them in. Again, I have some concern about Varsho, but in general, you can just lock those guys in and have that catcher position solved for a while. And that that's a really nice piece of this. But so those are our top tens. I'll read them back one more time. Pete had Adley Rutschman. Will Smith, Dalton Varsho, Alejandro Kirk, JT Realmuto, Sean Murphy, Wilson Contreras, Sal Perez, Tyler Stevenson, and MJ Melendez. I had Varsho, Kirk, Rutschman, Smith, JTR, William Contreras, Wilson Contreras, Melendez, Stevenson, and Murphy. Looking at ADP right now, forgetting these 10, it could be one of these 10, but it doesn't have to be, at their current ADP, who's the best value out there? Who's the catcher out there? You're like, I don't know why this guy's going so late. I want him. I don't, I don't. So it's hard for me to like defend and say like he should be going earlier, but I really like that Sean Murphy is kind of like at the very, by far at the very end of a tier for me where like you look at catchers last year and filter for plate appearances. Um, it, Sean Murphy led all catchers in plate appearances by almost thir- over 30. By 34 plate appearances, Sean Murphy had 612. Will Smith was behind him at 578. And that is just bankable, particularly in your two catcher leagues or in your, your rotisserie leagues where like it does, we, we think we get so much value. Like I felt like, man, I was getting so much value out of Jonah Heim last year. And I'm sure I was, but if I pull up the numbers for Jonah Heim over the course of the entire season, his counting stats are going to be abysmal. Um, I'm pulling them up. I got 51 runs and 48 RBI. And as good as he was, that's because the the dude only had 450 plate appearances. Now, Sean Murphy's may not be that much better because he was in Oakland, but it looks like he's probably going to find a good home, and and that guy can just go out there every single day. So for me, if I can get at ADP one what, what was it 144, I think it was 141, end of a tier for me, 
I'm going to take those bankable plate appearances and take Sean Murphy. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. I went a different direction here, but I'll start by saying, like, I love Murphy. I think he is underrated. And I think when he gets out of Oakland, he has the opportunity to put up just a huge season. Um, I do think his, I think if and when he gets traded, his value in drafts is going to get weird because I think the trade is going to do lead to a lot of conversation about him. A lot of that conversation is going to be about what a great overall catcher he is, not just offensively, but he's he's fantastic defensively. And as a result of all of that, plus leaving Oakland, I think his ADP will jump significantly, maybe to the point that it becomes a bad value. But where it is right now, if it stays there, I'm I'm super happy to pick him up. However, I was very, very surprised to see this guy so low. The ADP for Francisco Alvarez, and part of this is right now he is util only in NFBC, but his ADP is 416.5. He is on average, he is, he is the third, 343rd best ADP. I, I mean, the Mets are talking about trading away James McCann. Alvarez is a stud prospect. There is a ton of risk in any prospect and catcher prospects, maybe more than others. But it is insane to me that he is going that late. Like that late means you could draft Murphy and then much, much later take Alvarez as a second catcher if you want to. Um, And I just, I don't know. Jose Trevino is going before him. Christian Betancourt, Nick Fortes. Uh, Carson Kelly, who I actually sort of like a little bit, but hasn't been able to hit it all recently. Elias Diaz, who you can only use half the time, if that. Joey Bart, who's been terrible. Gary Sanchez, who who knows if he's even going to have a job. Like, I just, there's so much upside in what Alvarez brings to the table. And there is like, there is a very real chance he's the opening day catcher for the Mets. And if he's the opening day catcher for the Mets, there is a very real chance he finishes the season as a top five fantasy catcher. Now, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not banking on that. I don't want to draft him as a top five fantasy catcher. But if you're telling me I can have him for free at the end of drafts, that's just, that's insane upside. And from a keeper league perspective, if I could take him with my last pick, I'm just, uh, yeah, uh, that there's, his ADP is way too low, way too yeah. low. Obviously, in keeper leagues, it would be higher, but you're right. That is that is definitely an odd outlier. I don't know why. That I think it's probably because people are filtering for catcher when they want to take their catcher, and he's not appearing in his utility. Yeah. Because that is, that is bizarre. He got a cup of coffee last year. If he has a good spring training, there is no question he is going to be in that opening day lineup. Steve Cohen doesn't care about service time. Come on. So, like, yeah, top catcher prospect in baseball, you, you have to. At 414, that is a smash on the value. If I knew he was going that late... And I, I, I ruled him out because he was utility only. He would have been mine as well. So I support that one 100%. So let's go the other direction and look at the worst value at ADP. Who's the guy who right now you're just like, eh, I don't know why people are doing this. And I'll, I'll go first in this one because it's a guy we've already talked about a little bit. For me, it's Salvador Perez. He is going at ADP. I just lost it. His average pick is 62.6. He's the 60th player off the board. Um, yeah, I don't see it. I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't. I, I, and I, there are, he is going as the fourth catcher. So right now in, in NFBC by ADP, and again, this isn't, because this isn't a keeper league, it's, it's going to be different than what we've been talking about. But JT Real Muto going first, totally get it. Varsha going second, 
totally get it. Will Smith going third. Then you've got Salvador Perez before Adley, before Wilson Contreras, before Alejandro Kirk. Like those guys were all better than Perez last year, and they're not pushing 35. <laughs> so I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't get it. I think there's the only reason, the only way I could justify taking him that early is if you believe that that 48 home run season is still in him and that he could potentially hit, you know, push 50 home runs again. Because if he doesn't do that, there's no upside in this pick. None. And you're paying full price for a guy who could turn into a pumpkin this year because he's just done. <laughs> I and, love right? I, I mean, pumpkin. Yeah, well, he could. He could turn yeah. into a pumpkin. <laughs> so I, I'm just, uh, yeah, at that price, I am all the way out on Salvador Perez. No interest whatsoever. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I think, uh, you know, obviously the early ADP results are a lot of draft and holds and two catcher leagues. So it's it's going to be catchers get naturally pushed up. But the, the point that you make about the players going after him makes that, you know, irrelevant, right? Like, uh, yeah. no matter where he's going, I think I'd still rather have Adley Rutschman um, and and, and I'll, maybe Alejandro Kirk as well for 2023, like you said. For me, it, my pick is related to... Um, Alejandro Kirk. So it's kind of a nice little transition there. And that's Danny Jansen, who it, it probably sounds weird to be like, well, a guy whose ADP is 200 at a really tough position and, and had such a strong year last year at a 140 WRC plus. How could he possibly be a bad value? Well, unless they start moving pieces around, which they might, and it might be Gabriel Moreno that goes, I think there might be two better suited players on that team uh, to take plate appearances from him. And that would be Gabriel Moreno and Alejandro Kirk. Now I'm sure the whole purpose of trading away Teoscar Hernandez was to help alleviate that issue a little bit where Kirk is going to see a lot more of his time at DH, but I don't know. Danny Jansen had a 17% home run to fly ball ratio. Like that is absurd. He's, he's been a, a guy who for stretches has been fun to roster because he's really been able to turn it on. He slashed the strikeout rate last year and was able to hit the hit really well, despite a BABIP that was pretty low, but I, paying top 200 price for a guy who's probably going to be your typical catcher who has, you know, 400 plate, 400 to 450 plate appearances, you know, 10 to 15 homers and anywhere from 45 to 55 runs and 40 to 50, 45 to 55 RBI. Like I'm, I'm going to take the last of that tier. And I feel like at pick 200, that's the first. And so I don't really want anything to do with, with Danny Jansen. Uh, looking at Jansen, his last two years combined, He's had 453 plate appearances, 26 home runs, 66 runs, 72 RBIs, and a 243 average. If he has a full healthy season, and that is the big risk with him, I think he matched. I think he put up those numbers. I think that's that's right in his his wheelhouse. And I do think a trade happened. So from that perspective, I actually like his value because I think at some point playing time will open up for him, either because he goes somewhere else or because someone else goes somewhere else. But I guess my question for you would be if you're you know, looking at a tier, here are the guys, here are the catchers by NFBC ADP going after him. So he goes at 201. There's not another catcher until 245. 245 is Grandal. 256 is Jonah Heim. Then Logan Ohapi at 261. Christian Vasquez, 265. Moreno, who you mentioned, going 279. Bo Naylor, 298. That's the rest of the top 300 at catcher. Who are you? Who would you rather have? If you're not taking Jansen at 201, who do you want of that group who's going after him? Uh, I think I'd, I'd like to see another year out of Yasmani Grandal, especially if I can get him three, four rounds later. Um, yeah. 
who was the second name behind Grandaller right before Grandal? Yeah, he was, Hine, he was awesome last year. Uh, he seems like another player on the rise who, at least if he's similar to Danny Jansen, well, he has less playing time concerns at the moment. So I, I, I'd rather him. And again, I can get him three to four rounds later. And then if you even dig deeper, like, is Gary Sanchez going to be in Minnesota next year? If not, is he going to go to some place where maybe he can smash me 30 homers, even if it's going to come with a 210 or 200 average? Like, that's probably still maybe better than what I'm going to get from Danny Jansen, or at least more unique and allows me to structure my roster in a way that's that's going to be better overall, at least in terms of power. So I, it's it's not so much like who are the names right now, but it's more who am I going to be able to figure out during the season? Who's going to be next year's Cal Raleigh or Jonah Heim that just like, oh, this guy's perfectly fine and going to do just as well as Danny Jansen. So why did I spend a top 200 pick on Danny Jansen? Yeah, it makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about prospects. We're sort of getting to a point where we got to wrap up, but there are some interesting prospects at this position. We've already talked about Francisco Alvarez. I think he is uh, somewhat unquestionably the top prospect at this position. There's some other interesting names, though, that are potentially slated for significant playing time from the start of the year. I mean, if, if nothing changes right now, Gabriel Moreno might not have a role in Toronto, but I suspect something will change there. If nothing changes in Anaheim, Logan O'Hoppy is going to be their starter. If nothing changes in Cleveland, Bo Naylor is going to get a shot at the job. Of those guys, and if there's other catchers who you think are going to play a significant role this year, let's leave Alvarez out of it. But Potential rookie prospect catchers who you think are going to play a significant role this year. Is there anyone you're most interested in or anyone you, you're particularly interested in? Uh it's such a hard position to get excited about when you haven't even seen the player play. You know, I put down Alvarez because, like you said, he's such an outlier. He is so clearly the number one prospect, and he's probably going to DH a lot. Um, I, I guess I'd, I'd give you a better answer after spring training. But in short, no, I don't want to say a name and and not truly mean it because this is a position where I'm probably just going to stay away from the prospects. Um, let them figure it out, and I'll, I'll draft somebody a little earlier. It's it's the coward's way out, but I don't want to say something that I don't feel. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I think there are some interesting prospects here. I think Logan Ohapi is maybe the most interesting bat among them, and in you know a Fangraphs points league, something like that, he might be the one I'd be most interested in, especially because it looks like LA is going to give him a shot. My big concern with him is he got 16 plate appearances for the Angels last year. Other than that, he is he had 23 plate appearances in AAA for Philadelphia in 2021. He skipped over AAA entirely last year. And so I, I just don't know. There seems to be an assumption that he's going to be the guy there. And it feels like he could use some time in AAA before he's up. And if he struggles, he can get sent back pretty quickly. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about him from that perspective. From a fantasy perspective, and this is... Maybe a little less true in in less stolen bases count, but Bo Naylor last year between Double A AA and Triple A had twenty one home runs and twenty one stolen bases, or twenty one home runs and twenty stolen bases for Cleveland's Double A AA and Triple A teams. I again, I don't think he's going to end up being the starter there. I think they either make a trade with Oakland or they make a trade with Toronto. They come away with a catcher some other way, and he ends up sort of being brought along behind someone else. But if he ends up with the job, he is, if you're looking for a guy who actually has JT Real Muto upside in terms of 
being a legitimate five-category contributor as a catcher, he might be the only one. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be JT Real Muto. That's an insane thing to say about any any prospect. Is like, yeah, he'll be the best fantasy catcher we've seen in years. But he has that potential in him, and he has that upside. And I think because of his skill set, he he walks a lot, which allows him to get a base. He uses his speed very well. Not only did he steal 20 bases, he only caught four times. I think that his floor, if he's playing regularly, is pretty reasonable. And so I, I really like him from that perspective. Um, plus, I'm a homer, so I'm going to name the Guardians guy. But if you're looking for... He's, uh, he's still good. That's not homerism right there. That was... No, no. There, there's, there's some homerism there, but it's but it's it's valid analysis of what he brings to the table. I do think if you're looking in, in leagues where you're going to have like a prospect draft or something like that, th- those guys, Naylor, Alvarez, Ohapi, like those guys are getting drafted. So if you're looking at your prospect drafts, you're looking for a stash. The, the guy who jumps out to me as sort of most interesting is Diego Cartaya with the Dodgers. The, the downside with him is that the Dodgers have a really good, strong offensive young catcher. Uh, in addition to the fact that Cartaya was only in high A last year, I think he probably gets to double A this year, which probably means he's like a 2024 debut, maybe even 2025 before he really has value. But if you're looking for a guy to stash, I, I just he's got he's got really good power. He's got a really not a great hit tool, but a good enough hit tool. And he seems to be good enough defensively that he's likely to stick at the position. There's some other guys who are likely to be around sooner. Um, someone like Andy Rodriguez or Henry Davis in Pittsburgh, although I don't know how you use both of them, but like those guys are are much closer and are, are I don't know. They're, they're not as interesting to me as Cartaya, but they're interesting. Those That trio, though, are sort of the three catchers who I would be considering in in prospect drafts, Cartaya more because of the upside, even though the ETA isn't great. Rodriguez and Davis, because I think there's a good chance one of them is starting for Pittsburgh, maybe even late this year, but certainly by next year. Any catcher prospects you're, I mean, catcher prospects are a mess. So maybe there's just no one. <laughs> well, I, I got excited a little bit when Shane Longolier got called up last year because I thought, all right, well, Murphy's a player's on the move and that's going to open up plate appearances for him. This is a team that's shown they're willing to give a ton of plate appearances to a catcher. And then he went and posted a strikeout rate of 35%. So I yeah. I could not be cooler on or cooling more on prospects at a particular position than catcher. I'm glad you mentioned Langoliers, though, because he he is a very good hitter with a lot of potential. Right. I think the thing that scares me a little bit about, well, you debate whether this is scary or good, but he had a 23% strikeout rate in 2019 in a ball. Then he went to double a in 2021, right? So he missed 2020 because of the pandemic 2021. He had a 26.2% strikeout rate in double a as a 23 year old, which is okay, but not great. Then he had a 42.9% strikeout rate. In a very brief 14 plate appearances in AAA. But he he really looked overmatched in a brief 2021 AAA experience. He bounced back very nicely in 2022. So and ended up with a he ended up there with a 21.9% strikeout rate in 402 plate appearances. So here, here's where I say you can it can be good or bad. The trend over his career is that his strikeout rate has been getting higher and higher at each level, and something like a 30% strikeout rate is not out of line with where things seemed to be headed. But last year, 
he made real adjustments and brought that strikeout rate down a lot. And even if you forget the 14 AAA plate appearances in 2021 and just look at what he did in AA, he went from 26.2% in AA in 2021 to 21.9% in AAA in 2022. If he's able to continue to make those kind of adjustments and bring his strikeout rate back down to like even 25% in the majors and is able to walk a little bit more than he did, there there's a solid bat in there. He's not, you know, I don't think he's a threat to jump into that like top five catchers, maybe probably not even the top 10, but I think he has a real path to being a solid back end catcher in a keeper league. That makes him an interesting late round pick for me in redraft. I think he's probably closer to a watch list guy for me, but you were talking about like, Oh, if I draft Salvador Perez and he falls apart, I got to find someone else. Like this is exactly the kind of guy that early in the season, if you drafted Perez, if you drafted Yasmani Grandal, if you drafted someone like that and they're just, they're done, go take a look at what Langoliers is doing. Cause if he's not striking out a ton, he gets real interesting, real fast. He could easily be next year's Jonah Heim, right? Not to keep bringing up the same player. I just, I rostered him in a lot of spots and he bailed me out in a lot of spots. Just like, a, Oh, look what I found. Yeah. Makes sense. So I think we've about covered everything there is to cover about catchers. Anything else we should mention? Uh, I, th- I think we should just end on a note about strategy, right? Where like this is a position where I have flipped back and forth constantly on my approach. Um, I think I- I've landed on one where it's like if I can get one of the top end catchers at even a little bit of a discount, I will do it. But I'm not going to sacrifice high end talent, especially this year of all years where hitting is really getting pushed up like the, the possibility to get you know, a, a full five category contributor just to take a catcher who's coming off a career season. I think we saw that backfire on people who took Salvador Perez last year. Um, and, and I don't want to be the next guy who does that in keeper leagues. You know, you've heard my philosophy, Chad and I kind of differ on that, but um, it's a, it's a really hard position to pin down. So if you have an answer there, you know, that's at a cheap keeper cost, obviously hold on tight. Yeah, totally agree with that. With that, thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you in a couple weeks, and we'll be continuing to go through these positional previews, maybe maybe middle infield next, maybe corner infield. We'll have to, we'll have to decide and see what's up. And we'll, of course, give you updates on, on how keeper values have been impacted by any more moves that happen. Winter meetings going on right now, so we should we should see some action. Come on, go Red check Sox. Twitter, Come see on. what's happening. <laughs> thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. <laughs>